Great start here. Can Dempsey score? Yes! The answer head! Oh, he's trying to find him. It's broken for Fabregas. Now it's Iniesta. This is it! Chin! Chin out! Mezzanazzi! He's looking for three goals. He's got seven. So he's right side here. Oh, I say! It's amazing. Has it gone over the line of the back post? It has. It's three. And he has them. Here they are, looking for number five, with Philippe Albert, oh! Kadira, 5 now. 5-0! Hello and welcome to the Football Fives, and it's another one of our Blind episodes where we talk exclusively about Danny or Daily Blind for three quarters of an hour. Not really, it's a hilarious pun on the word blind. Uh... My name is David Hartrick, I'm hosting tonight, uh, and this blind episode is going to be in the format of, that I like to call Team Talk. We did one on Spurs uh, early in the season, uh, we're going to pick a club at random from my giganto list O clubs uh, in a minute, and uh, have a right little chat about them for 40 minutes or so. Uh, joining me to my virtual left is Ryan Keeney. Hello. Ryan, I believe you couldn't go to the football last night because Dan was a bit cold. Dan was not wearing enough layers. Yeah, vintage hefty. Virtual right, Christopher Nee, how are you, sir? Hello, yeah, I'm good. I uh, I wore about seven layers to the football last night. Yeah, I... I, I had them ready. I must admit, I I was very, very keen not to underclub the layers last night at, at the Huddersfield game. And I, if anything, I ended up a bit too warm, Clive. Uh, no Daniel Story this week, because he's probably on another podcast that he'll tweet about. <laughs> um, but so, here we go. Ryan, yes. you weren't on this first podcast, but the questions are as follows. Number one, what's your personal relationship to the club? Mm-hmm. Number two, favourite current player? Mm-hmm. Number three, favourite old player slash legend. Mm-hmm. Number four, their season so far. Mm-hmm. And number five, their next three years. Where do you think they'll be? Okay. Um, it's the Premier League and about, there's, I think there's about 30 other sides. Um, <laughs> that is a li- Basically, we dropped on last time with Spurs. As I said in that pod we could get the worst possible scenario, which is not Crystal Palace because I've taken them out of the list. It's Middlesbrough, as we all know. Uh, Ryan, they're not in any sort of order. They're all jumbled up, so this is completely random. Number between one and five. Four. I I, I was wondering why it's one of... No, that's, that's, that's... Well, it's fine because you've picked four, but I should have said one and four because there's no team 50 in there. It's a good start. I'm doing well. Uh, Chris, number yeah. between one and nine. Seven. 47. Right, interestingly, we went 49 last time, which we have now scrubbed out and eliminated. Uh, and we went. We ended up going for 41 last time. So we've gone to 47. So can we, next time, can we go a bit earlier in the list? Yeah. We've dropped on again, genuinely. This is random. Uh, and we've got Manchester City. So <laughs> that's... Uh, oh, dear. Yeah, I mean, 
that that couldn't have worked out better, really, for a blind pod with zero preparation. Yeah, um, he's putting his phone away. <laughs> straight into uh, question number one: personal relationship with the club. Um, my relationship with Man City is I've never really had anything against them, but I've never really had anything for them. They're just a, a football club to me. Until the last couple of years when they've become uh, a super club and are therefore scum. So, <laughs> you know, and yeah. this is the, the thing scum, is they're previously having expressed a, a fondness for this podcast, which is now out of the window. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, let me justify myself when I say that. What I mean is, they are now in that clutch of clubs with Man United, Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea. They are very firmly in there. They have won Premier Leagues. So, therefore, automatically, uh, you know, they arouse certain feelings in fans of other clubs, such as Brighton and Hove Albion, which are all admittedly born of jealousy. We would all love to be there. Um but I, I think, I, I've said it on this podcast before, I think one of the things City fans do struggle with a little bit is they've gone from being everybody's favourite other club, because they were, let's be honest, they were never a threat, to now they are a behemoth and they're franchising worldwide, etc. They, they have become the evil empire a little bit and I think there's still a bit of a period of adjustment going on to be to be honest with you for some of them uh, I mean I'll, I'll tell you where I am as a Brighton fan if we had if we were sitting on a defence that was worth quarter of a billion pounds and we had an unlimited budget both Custis brothers could come around and do a shit on my front doorstep every single morning and I wouldn't be bothered you know I would I would I would revel in it so I I would say chaps just crack on and enjoy it light up the cigars on a 50 pound note and just enjoy it it's it's because you know let, let's 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 be frank I would say 60 to 70% minimum of all negative feelings towards City from here on in are, are jealousy-based. And that's that's the reality. Um, Ryan, I'm interested in your perspective on this as a Liverpool fan. <laughs> um, it's kind of a weird one, and, and personal opinion and personal relationship. Because um, they were never the main rivals when I was growing up in, in my mind. That was always Liverpool for, for Man United. Um, and, and that was the, the big games that you kind of looked out for and, and really wanted to watch. And then when the money arrived and they started kind of throwing the weight around and the whole Tevez thing, they became a, a team you wanted to beat, but not in a necessarily competitive way, just as long as it got out of there by the skin of your teeth, it didn't matter what it looked like. So the I think that, that turning point in that, in that game was the 4-3 in 2009 when Michael Owen scored the winner in the 90th minute after Craig Bellamy had thought. And that team... I think had Tevez was playing for City there. I think he made the move that summer. Um, I might be a year out. He might have already been there. Uh, no, it would have been no because yeah. So Tevez was at City and they'd signed Wright Phillips and Bridge and uh, everybody else that you kind of sign when you're building up a, a new squad. Um, and that was the moment where they became an important team to beat. Don't think like I could call them a threat, but obviously they are. Um, and necessarily the the rivals, but they became an important team to beat, which is a slightly strange one. Um, and then over the last few years, they've not, as you've said, they've, they've, their fans and, and them as a club haven't really accepted the transition where they've gone from everybody not begrudging them results to 
actually wanting them not to succeed because of the the money that they've sloshed around and um, they are working on becoming self-sustaining and it's not just about having an owner who's loaded and and all of that so uh, but uh, they will engage in incredible whataboutry as every other fan of a major club will that you're not allowed to uh, you're not allowed to criticize them because you'll just get the retort won't be a defense of that club specifically it'll be more finger pointing at somebody else yeah, I mean, even even our very own little cherub Daniel Story gets incredibly protective when you when you talk about the money because the first thing he he tells you is yes, but he's improved Sterling. Yes, but he's improved Fernandino, etc. Which I, I absolutely accept, but I think Pep Pep is a manager who has to work with elite, top level, world class footballers. I I don't think he could do it as he does it with a lesser skilled squad but I but you, think that's a perfectly valid job I think there's yeah. different managers in for different are perfect for different clubs and different situations and I he's think, he's uh, the perfect man at that tiller at the moment yeah this is a weird tangent to go off on but I think a good example for this is Stuart Lancaster who was the England rugby union coach and he was very much a, a teacher and, and he progressed he was based in Leeds and progressed through kind of teaching school teams and, and his mentality was always treating player, the players he worked with as pupils. And he never really transitioned out of that. So when he was at an elite level, it was lots of players spoke after he'd left of the relief at the way they, they got treated like adults because he treated them a lot like students. And, and mm. people, not necessarily, they have a level. I think a lot of coaches and, and Joseph Guardiola and, and everybody else has a level that they're most comfortable at. And it's anybody that can... Um, get in at that level and, and stay there and be successful that will work. So I don't think it's necessarily a criticism of, of Guardiola that he wouldn't no, work no, at, no, in no. League 2. Um, but if he if that's where his first opportunity would have to be, he'd probably have to change as a man. If he wasn't able to do that, then he'd not be a success. Yeah. Um, Chris, Aston Villa perspective here. Yeah. I, I'm guessing it's probably along similar lines to me and Ryan, really. Yeah, I, up until, well, 10 years ago now, it was. It couldn't have been more neutral, really. My my viewpoint on Man City. Um, I never felt particularly bad for them when when they had the struggles that they had, you know, within our lifetimes. Um, and equally, I'd, I'd never felt any particular fondness for them either. Um, it's a. It's funny now because I I, I do have strong negative and strong positive opinions about them. The the positives are very much on the field. Um, I, I think without getting too much into question uh, four the way they play quite apart from their league position I think does make them my favourite team in the Premier League to watch generally um, and that's not just because you know, they, they can batter sides it's because I, I find them more uh aggressive and more dynamic than a lot of the teams that have been given similar labels to City over the years um, and the negatives are, are kind of structural you know it's largely around the level of financing they've got and the source of financing they have and actually the source of previous financing they had as well was, was a bit of a bone of contention wasn't it um, mm. but the City football group structure for reasons that we've talked about on this podcast before and, and won't go into in depth um, in this episode, I find enormously problematic in terms of a global 
football picture for City Football Group to operate the way it does, which, to be clear, is legal and allowed and fine. Um, I don't think it should be allowed to have the ownership and uh, influence over that group of clubs and to be moving players around in the way they do. Uh, I think yeah, is, is worrisome. Now there are good things that come with that. You know, it's it's, it's we've been lucky tonight um, to to pick them out. You know, pretty much still in the shadow of their campaign about being one club, men's and women's together. Um, hmm. And you know that f- from the outside um, looks to have a large basis in, in the truth of the way that football club operates itself. Um, that you know, it doesn't feel like fluff to me. It seems like that is the way they do things. Um, and and I know that they they spend a lot of money on on. Um, I don't know if it's still called City in the community. I assume it is. Um, they do that kind of work as well. So there's there's good and bad that comes from being a very wealthy club. I I think, despite enjoying watching them play, and having a lot of time for things they do off the pitch. I think the bad just about outweighs the good for me nowadays. Um, yeah, but, you know, prior to prior to um, Shinawatra, it depended basically on my team's latest result against them, mm. and they were that down the middle for me. Yeah, I I do think it's important to touch on this that I think we have to say from here on that we're going to talk football because. <laughs> The, the closer you look at what is going on behind the scenes for City and their ownership and the questions around who they are even owned by, there were some very good articles recently. Um, I forget who it was by. Um, and it was, it was just on a, I think it was just on a blog by somebody who, um, I don't think they're even a football journalist. I think they're more of a, political journalist um, who had looked quite in detail at at City's ownership structure Um, and there are some really quite nasty questions but I think the other side of it is as you said the franchising model that has been rolled out around the world that we're supposed to ignore because we have Manchester City who have always been here so we have to quietly ignore it. I think for the purposes of this podcast I think we talk about the the football and the personnel alone really because we don't know all the ins and outs we don't know if everything that's said has been true but the, the closer you look the more smelly it starts to feel and I, I think we'll take the Dan Story approach to it which is to just ignore that until solid concrete evidence comes out and let's just talk about the football but we've acknowledged it and there it is so we can all move on. Anyway, after that slightly dour start, favourite current player. I'm not going to pick KDB uh, for reasons of I'm pretty sure one of you two will, and you absolutely should. Well, should we not? <laughs> well, genuinely, like, it's almost so obvious, yeah. isn't it? It should be. It should be a given because I think anybody who doesn't enjoy watching De Bruyne play at the peak of his abilities this is this is probably not the sport or podcast for them is it realistically mm. um so should we put uh, 
group decision then. Shall we put De Bruyne to one side and just assume that's the right answer and give another answer? Yep. Yep. Yeah. All right. Um, my my honest answer to this is my favourite current player is probably Americ Laporta. <laughs> they, they literally just bought because I covered him in the very early part of his career for the hundred, and he's I I I really really like him. Um, I d- I will say with the caveat that I think um, I think City fans might be being sold the vision by one or two people that he's the the finished article and he's quite away from that. But I I did say to Dan earlier in the week that um, I think in a couple of years people might look at that transfer fee uh, and look at the seventy five million pound that were paid for Van Dijk and wonder what Liverpool were doing. To be frank, because he really is. Laporta really is gravy. Um, I love watching Bernardo Silva play, but he's just not being given a run at Man City. So I, I, it's unfair to say him based on last season, really. Um, but I've always been a huge Yaya fan. I think when he's in full flow, he's obviously he's in the sort of twilight of his career at the moment, and he's in a funny place with Man City where he worked his way back into the side last year for a bit and actually proved to be quite a quite a big player for them but this season he really has been sort of phased phased out pretty much altogether and I would assume he's going to be on his on his way at the end of the season um but on his day and uh, I mean that the the title they won um under Pellegrini he was just magnificent in that season and he was just beating clubs on his own. I mean, there was a game against Newcastle, I think, at St. James's Park where the last uh, half an hour he just took the whole game by the scruff of the neck and won it for Man City on his own. So, so yeah, uh, I would say Yaya of the current squad. Chris? Um, Well, despite being critical of his England performances on on more than one occasion, I'm a big fan of Carl Walker, but... the player I'm most excited about at City is um, Gabriel Jesus, who mm. has come in and although there's a rawness to him, I think everything about him is exciting. I think the the quality that he's shown, pretty much from the off, um, has been extraordinary. And I think the the room for improvement that he's got is is frightening. He's just slotted into a genuinely world-class team and he's been scoring goals he's been creating he's he's dropped into this lineup where um you know he's he's in some ways the natural successor to Sergio Aguero but he's in there playing with De Bruyne playing with with Leroy Sane and the whole lot of them are just doing damage and it looks like he's been doing it for 10 years with them and on top of all that the style of play that he has, um, the, the 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 pace of thought as well as the pace of feet, and the skills and goal scoring now that he's showing already in his career, um, I just think he's an absolute joy to watch. And I think probably you probably argue just about I think that Sane is a little bit further along than him right now, but it's it's Jesus who makes me feel a bit fizzy when I watch Man City. Mm. I think he's I think, a hell of a player in the making. I think if there's anybody who doubts that, I think we can all agree that 
in the history of football, Guardiola is going to go down in the top five managers probably of, of all time, certainly in the top ten for definite. And he is phasing Sergio Aguero out of the team for Jesus, which is incredible when you think how good Aguero is, really. Mm. And so still tells, is. Yeah, and still is, which tells you all you need to know about about him, really. So a very good shout, that, Chris, and I'm I'm pretty much there with you. Ryan? Liverpool um, fans' perspective again. Yeah, I mean, there's there's two players. I, I mean, it, there's two players that I kind of immediately go to in the, the City squad, um, and both are players that I watched before they were at City, um, and kind of want to see them do really, really well. Even though it's a bit of a shame. Um, so Gundogan is is one, and and mm. he's had um, mm. terrible troubles with his knee, and and when he was at Dortmund, he looked to the business. Um, just look the absolute bee's knees as a midfielder and, and perfect for a club of the stature of City that want to go and win t- uh, trophies on, on four different fronts. Um, so if you if we were to do this in nine months' time or 12 months' time, I'd like to think that he would be at the front of this queue and, and be really important to them. Um, but for the time being, I'll say Leroy Sané, um, who is just wonderful. Um, the thing that, that always springs to mind with Sané is there was a, a piece of analysis by Thierry Henry um, I want to say about 18 months ago on, on Sky on Monday Night Football, where he talked about how Guardiola likes his wide players to be and he wants the wingers to stay out wide, stay out wide and, and be the width and, and be the players that actually stay out wide longer than, than others would do, whereas others would try and cut inside and, and make that run. By staying outside and, and having that discipline to not go chasing the ball, not go looking to be involved in the game, you, you help create space for everybody else. And Sani is that player at City for them. Um, I'm not saying he will go on to be as good as Omri, but he is certainly doing the job so far. He stays so wide that defenders can't tuck in and, and can't leave him alone. Um, but he moves so quickly and with, with such directness that he immediately gobbles up the space um, that is available to him and, and has been phenomenal for City. I think he's been the one really big impact for them. There's been There's been other players, and I think with bigger reputations, um, I've come into that city side and looked really, really good. But his reputation was still fledgling, I think, when he left Schalke to come to um, City. Everybody knew how good he could be, but he hadn't quite um, done enough and, and become like such an incredibly expensive 20-year-old. But he is just so, so good. Um, he he wants to score goals, but he knows where he needs to be. When the ball's on the other side of the pitch, he stays wide and, and gobbles up space. When the ball is played down his flank, he has got tricks. He's got incredible pace. He's really really good on the ball just a, a lovely player yeah I, I would agree with that and just before we move on nobody has mentioned David Silva because a bit like De Bruyne I think it I think it should really go without saying that if you don't enjoy watching Silva play then you don't really enjoy football I'd suggest um, I would assume Dan would have mentioned Silva I think yeah I think he pick. probably would so I think it's I think we've just given his answer for him there, really. I think um, Delph. Yeah, arguably, just to be contrarian. Um, Favourite old player or club legend? Um, <laughs> my, <laughs> I've got two answers for this. My honest answer is Wayne Bridge, because he came to Brighton and was absolutely stunning for us for a season. <laughs> he was absolutely superb. One of the, arguably the best player in the Championship that year. And we loved him, um, but in in terms of what they actually did for City, um, I am. <laughs> it's no secret to say I'm. 
I enjoy a little bit of international football. And uh, Sean Wright Phillips is... He became... He became a bit of a, uh, I wouldn't say a joke figure, but his career, he came to stand for something. Um, the Chelsea move was was the wrong move, and he, I mean, he, it wasn't even that he did particularly badly at Chelsea, but Chelsea, by their own admission, it was a bit of a signing because they didn't want Arsenal to get him. They didn't want Arsenal strengthening, and it, it, his career stuttered from that point on really but there was a spell the first spell at man city where he was he was untouchable and he was he he went through um sort of three months of a season where he was just banging in some absolutely ridiculous goals i think there was one against man united in a derby from an angle that was a half volley that he just absolutely lashed in and I've all, I've always had a I always had a lot of time for him in a in an England shirt, but not from the point of view if I ever thought he was going to change or influence a game. I just I just liked him in an England shirt, and we uh, that fateful night in um, Northern Ireland when David Beckham was pumping out <laughs> balls to him on the wing, the shortest player on the pitch. It became a little bit of a sort of metaphor for his his international career, in truth. But but yeah, in all honesty, big fan of Swap. So uh, Ryan, I think he he um, mm. he was ruined a bit by the t- decisions he made in his career because mm. that Man City period was genuinely special. You know, he he was a, a hell of a player. Uh, he was the best young player in England by quite a stretch. Mm. He was. Yeah. I, I've. I don't think I've ever actually physically applauded an opposition goal at Villa Park. And the closest I've been were uh, Paul Scholes scoring a volley from a corner. It's a good goal. Good Remember goal. it. Uh, and a, a solo goal that Sean Wright Phillips scored. I think I remember that. Yeah, I think it was... I, I, I think I, I'm... I don't think I'm misremembering it. I'm pretty sure that was at Villa Park. Hmm... I'm pretty sure that was a that was a game that was live on Sky as well. Uh Ryan. Uh so Matt Busby. Oh. <laughs> uh or Dennis Law? <laughs> no, no. Uh, I, I, I I think it's a toss up for uh, between Georgia King Cladzi or Niall Quinn. Go for Niall Quinn. Niall Quinn. <laughs> um who was a very very good target man. Um, in the Premier League, uh, always struck me as a, a nice man. Um, always just came across as a, a, a nice guy. Important for the Republic of Ireland, and in my younger years, I was a Republic of Ireland fan uh, because I changed, you know, my fandom for international sides as well as clubs, just to keep things um, <laughs> interesting for me. Um, and just kind of an important player, uh, maybe more so. I remember him more so at Sunderland and, and his partnership with. Kevin Phillips, but uh, his time at, at City, um, he was always a bit of a handful when we um, came up against him, um, I think. But I'm now having flashbacks that I think he missed a bit with injury. So he wasn't there in 90, uh, either 93 or 94, he wasn't there. But the other season, mm. I remember him being a bit of a handful. Saved a penalty in a City shirt. Went and goal and saved a penalty. Um, best thing about now, Quinn is when he's commentating and he says we when he's talking about Man City, Sunderland or Arsenal. Uh, yeah, that's nice. Chris, so, 
Uh, oh, it's Reedy, isn't it? <laughs> no, yeah, I, I've got. I have. I have to go with Georgie Kinkladze. Is uh, he's he's the one player I think who stands out from, um, you know, pre this Man City Man City for me. Um, and I, I I've picked him just ahead of Malcolm Allison, uh, who I'm I'm fascinated by that period, and I fully intend to learn a lot more about it. Um, but uh, Kinkladze was one that I lived through and saw the goals that he scored and the unorthodox way that he played and the impact, you know, the cultural impact he had on, on City and on English football and on Derby really as well yeah. um, because he was um, you know, in, in the very best way possible, a foreign player you know, he was <laughs> unusual um, he, he played differently to everybody around him and uh, and yet, at no point did you feel that City carried him. He was he was a luxury player that didn't feel like a luxury. Um, and scoring spectacular goals and having all the skill in the world will go a long way with me when I'm a neutral. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the thing about King Cladsey was, he was, when you actually... If you if you go back, if you ever researching something or, or something like that, he was he was nowhere near as good as you think he was. The difference was his his best moments were just so much better than anyone else's. That that was the thing. Um, yeah, very very good shout. I would say three games uh, for Boca Juniors. <laughs> um, right, this Man City season so far. Um, it's a bit of a funny one talking about Man City's season because they've had such a cakewalk in the Premier League um, that it's difficult to judge them at the moment because I don't... Without without doing what, they're, what they've achieved down or anything like that, I, I do genuinely think it's a really weak Premier League this season and I would say last season too. So I don't quite know how good this team is in terms of of Joseph Guardiola's other great teams that he's created and again slightly similarly I'm not sure even winning the Champions League this season is a great indicator because Real Madrid aren't very good Barcelona are supposed to not be very good but they're walking the league because um Real have struggled and a couple of other teams have struggled in La Liga. Um so it's a slightly they're on a they're in a slightly funny place when you you sort of try and assess them. And I I'm sort of guessing the Premier League will be done and dusted, I would have thought, certainly by mid April, I think it will be a done thing. I can I can see them definitely winning at least one of the domestic cups. And if they win the Champions League too, then you have to say, uh, unbelievable achievement. But even then, I still think that to put them in context, we really need to see the next two or three years without sort of treading on the toes of the next question. So I think they've been absolutely spectacular. Um, but they've they've really they've really got to see it home now. They've really got to got to finish what they've started. Um, and then we will be able to 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 really talk about them in with some sort of context. Chris, um, I I think I'm a little more positive than you. I I think they are very very impressive, 
Uh, and I think if they win the league and the Champions League, almost regardless of what they do in the others, it will be um, a rightly very highly respected achievement. Um, yeah, it's, it's difficult to know what to say about them, really, because they they are fun to watch. They are fairly prolific. They win games for fun, and they can just sweep teams aside. Um, as it happens, I enjoy watching them play, but I enjoy watching them play in good football matches more than ones where they just batter the opposition. Um, and over the winter... We've had just little hints that there are ways to get at them. And I think to be truly in the class of some of Guardiola's other teams, being uh, undoable by the kind of tactics that Crystal Palace approached them with uh, is probably going to have to be eradicated. So I, I think they're they're right up there for me as English champions, but I, I think when you compare it to what Guardiola's done at Barcelona and, and at Bayern Munich, I think there's a way to go before they're quite proven at that level. I think winning the Champions League would be a start in that, um, and if you know if they were to go the rest of the season unbeaten or whatever, then you're looking at a very very small number of points dropped, um, and. For me, the evidence is is mounting up in their favour, game by game. Um, so I, I think I think this season can make them special, um, and I don't think particularly I'm I'm waiting for the next couple of years to have that proven to me as uh, particularly. Um, so for the sheer attacking quality and for excitement, can't think of too many. English champions of the Premier League era that I would pick ahead of them. One or two, maybe. Um, but winning the Champions League is a must for them. Uh, and I think when they do that, whether it's this season or not this season, that's when we can assess them um, yeah. on a sort this, of wider global level. This season is the big chance, though, isn't it? Because I think it is, yeah. The, the, the European teams, they're not as strong. I mean, even I look at PSG and I think as good as they are going forward, you can definitely get at that defence. And a team like Man City can definitely get at them. So I think they've got a huge, huge chance. Yeah. Um, they're not, they've been worse in defence as well. You know, One of the, the mm. players who, who people are really praising this season at City is Otamendi, um, who's improved... Fairly significantly this season, I think. Mm. But there's just that little weakness. It's, it's, it's high balls is a very simplistic way of of saying what they struggle with. Um, but there's, there's certainly a directness that the teams that have worried them have achieved against them. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Ryan, um, I don't think coming into this season anybody expected City to have such a, an easy time of it in the league. I think given the they were 14, 15 points off Chelsea last year. Um, and just kind of everybody else was re- uh, buying players. And, and even this window, everybody's been buying players. That It wasn't supposed to be such a cakewalk. So I think it, at the beginning of the season, City winning the title, getting deep into Europe and being competitive in the other cups was probably the bare minimum that they wanted and, and what Guardiola was going to be aiming for. I think now that... 
we are at the end of January and they would have to do something incredible to lose the title from here and, and it would be one of the most famous historic um kind of squandering of, of league titles in history of the English game for it to, to come off. Um they have to reassess and I think this is the part where as as you've both mentioned, getting deep into the Champions League is they've now got to go beyond that. And it's it's still a cup competition and over two games anybody can be got at and anybody can be beat and it's not always the best team that wins. So if they go out um, to a, a very good team, then you know they'll just have to hold their hands up. But if they're not being competitive until they're not getting to the semi-finals and, and into the final, um, then I think they'll be they'll probably be a little bit disappointed, which is is where they've gone to. Um, and it's kind of a fair enough, really. They've not conceded too many goals this season. They've they've been pretty irresistible going forward. They've battered a few teams and been able to relax, and and that will stand them in good stead as they, they get into the Champions League. One of the the big things that works for Bayern Munich and PSG and, and Real Madrid and Barcelona, everybody complains about this time of year, is how many easy games they get through and how they can switch off after 65, 70 minutes and start wrestling players. City will have that. City will will definitely get that this season. They will be good. They can take their foot off the, the pedal a little bit. They can re- make sweeping changes for Champions League games because they've got such a buffer at the top of the Premier League. Yeah. Yeah, it's... it's. I don't want us to appear... On, I mean, I personally certainly don't want to appear too negative about it, but I just think for all the good things they, they're doing, they the, winning the Premier League is no longer the bar. That's well, that's the issue. And I think it, it's it, it's by their own making... Yeah, that's, I don't. I mean, if they if they finish this season with one trophy, will it be a bad season? No, but will it be a most missed opportunity? Absolutely. Yeah, um, I th- that they they have they're in the they couldn't ask for a better, almost certainly a better sense of better set of circumstances. The unbeaten, invincible thing is gone, um, which is probably a blessing for this first kind of Premier League that Guardiola was going to win. Um, trying to do it while invincible would have just ramped up pressure and, and would have, he would have been fed up talking about it. So that's gone. Um, they're still in uh, all the other competitions, I think. Yeah. Mm. Um, so this is, I mean, this is ideal uh, for him and, and for his side. and He just needs to kind of get on with it. Um, question five. How do you see their next three years going? It's it's difficult to see if if <laughs> this question really hinges around one thing, doesn't it? And that's how long Guardiola decides to stay with the club. Yeah. Does he do his usual three seasons and then sabbatical, or does he try and take City that little bit further? Um, I I think he will probably stay a little bit beyond the th- the three years because I think the attraction of working at a club who laid themselves prostrate for his services for five years essentially is is too great to just walk away from after three years and, and I think he would I would be disappointed if he did to be to be honest um what I don't want to see though uh, I don't uh, the problem is that you want competition in the Premier League and my worry is that the best squad in the Premier League from which you can make the best first 11 in the Premier League is being married uh, managed by the best manager in the Premier League and they're going to spend 200 million each summer 
slash, you know, between the two windows. And that's where very, very quickly, within three or four years, the actual competition in the league can just drain it. Um, I know you can get into a Bundesliga game if you take a loaf of bread and a dead mouse to the ticket office, but it is not a healthy league in so many respects, and competition being the most major one. And I really don't want... I I don't want a world where any team, be it City, United, Chelsea, Arsenal, whoever, just become a juggernaut and win it time and time and time again because it just devalues it further and further. So it's just it's a it's a slightly funny one, really. Um, and I I don't know what the future holds because I'm almost I I also. I'm slightly concerned for for City going forward that whether they get their wings clipped transfer wise at some point if they've if you know if UEFA start to step in and if if FFP becomes a thing again because at the moment it's not a thing because there's so many huge gaping holes in it so it it's quite difficult to say the one thing I can guarantee you is that they will throughout three years they will still be one of the biggest sides competing for every single trophy, up there with the favourites for every single trophy. And City fans should absolutely revel in that and stop worrying. Uh, Ryan? I think they'll win two Champions Leagues in the next three years. Um, Big shout. Yep, yep. And luckily this podcast will be long on, so nobody will call me up on that. Um, (laughs) By 2021, I think... A lot of this, I, well, I, I kind of agree with you to a point that I think a lot of their success rotates around Guardiola, but I think more so, I think it um, is based around how they replace Guardiola, and if they, if he, if he is to leave in the next three years, if they go for somebody with a similar style and and similar philosophies and and who wants to play a similar style of football, because they couldn't, they probably won't be able to ask for a better squad of players to do that. Um, and City are, are splashing the cash around. I think it will be tough for them. I think the the other sides in the Premier League have all got big enough pockets to go for it. And <coughs> sorry, something in the back of my throat. Um, they've got enough money to go for it and go after players and go after managers and go after the coaching staff that they need to be competitive. And they will know the value of being as competitive as they can possibly be. So it it um will be interesting. But just as assuming you're happy to suspend, you know, reality in terms of what amounts of money are sloshing around, because transfer fees are getting silly. But yeah, just take a little step away from that. Just worry about players coming in. But I think it, City will probably be playing the best football in Europe over the next three years. Yeah, I, I, I think I agree. I think I agree, Chris. Uh, I think the next three years will be Guardiola years. Um, because I, I've never really seen him as a shirker of challenges, and I think he's got challenges that he will find tantalising approaching. Um, domestically, I think there will be unhealthy competition because the difference between the Premier League and the Bundesliga, for example, Dave, for me, is the further City push it, the further United will push it, and the further Liverpool push it, Chelsea push it. So they will always have um, the competition from teams who are willing to spend to to 
compete with them. Um, when Chelsea sack Conte before the end of this sentence, um, what they do next will be very interesting. Um, and I think United just won't be able to resist it. So I, I think he's got domestic uh, competition enough to want to repeat as Premier League champions. I think that's that's going to be a realistic aim for him. Um, and actually, I think uh, it's similar in the Champions League because as phenomenal as his uh, achievements with Barcelona in particular were, Real Madrid have moved the bar in, in terms of otherworldly Champions League success. Mm. And if I were Pep Guardiola and I was in his position now, I'd be looking at that thinking, that's my next target. So I, off the I, perch. Think, I think he's he's in the best place he could be to put himself on the level of retaining a Champions League. And if that's what he wants, and I, I don't know the man, but if I uh, can read anything into a football character, he will fancy a bit of that. He won't like anybody having anything over him. Fair. Yeah. So where else is he going to go? Hmm. Uh, that, that's the thing I keep coming back to. If if Pep decides to go and have a sabbatical, where does he go? Uh, he's not going to go to PSG because there's there's simply no point because no. he's well they're not, they're not winning three Champions Leagues on the spin. No, and that's where no. he needs to be setting his level. He, he has to want to become the very best ever. Otherwise, and how does he? Point? How does he? <laughs> if he went to La. Uh, to PSG, he's got to raise himself to go and play against the dog and duck <laughs> every week because that the 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 breadth of quality that sort of the the disparity in quality in that league is ridiculous. So he is realistically in the only place he can be at the moment. So right, Man City covered, done. Another one off the list. So now we've done Spurs and City. I'm guessing we're going to get an absolute Reggie Blinker next time. But we shall see. Uh, You can find us in all the usual places. I don't know where they are because I don't write a list. Uh, And we'll see you next time. See you there. Bye. Bye.